welcome to Jurassic Park for a minute. We'll be discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel, One Minute at a Time. I'm Brad. Yeah. And today we're going to discuss Minute 41 of Jurassic Park 3. But before we get to that, David, this past week... Uh, no, I'm going to rephrase that. David, this last couple of minutes we've been talking a lot about the lab compound and um, the Embryonics Administration building. And on today's minute we feature a lot more of the kennels out the back as well. And... Jurassicpedia has got a fantastic little article up on the kennels and the rest of the lab compound. Actually, one of the stub articles that I first came on to the Encyclopedia Project, I heavily extended. It used to be just about like one or two paragraphs. Mm. And so I started pulling screen caps from the DVD, pulling, uh, pulling just generally going through the scene and describing it as I saw it. So that's kind of why... The article is in a somewhat of a chronological order where it goes from uh, the embryonics administration lobby to the floor that were the, the production floor that we just talked about, and then to the um, kennels, which we're going to talk about. Mm. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's it. Like this was started back in the day where you could only get the the screen caps and that off the um, the DVDs. So. Mhm. But now we're well, you you more, you more than me are contributors on the site, and we're going to start pimping out some uh, articles, featured articles and that, and uh, just let you know what's happening over there and um, promote the Jurassic-Pedia the best we can. My God. He's calling for help. Come on! As we ended minute 40 of Jurassic Park 3, Amina and Billy were stuck behind a door, the voice wrapped hanging from the mesh, snarling at it. As we open on minute 41, the raptor looks up and sees a triangular-shaped hole at the top of the door, and begins to climb. Amanda, looking down, realises that the raptor is now completely off the ground, and yells to Billy to push. The two push the gate hard, and it swings around with the raptor still hanging from the mesh, and continues past the locking point and goes around to the rear wall. The impact of the gate slam against the mesh forces the old lock to come free, and the bolt comes out, trapping the raptor in a similar small triangular space. At the eight second mark, the raptor starts to call. This stops Grant dead in his tracks as he's escaping, and says, oh my god, he's calling for help. Paul comes back and grabs him by the arm and says, come on, and the two leave, fleeing with the rest of the survivors. At the 23 second mark, we cut back to the car park, outside the Embryonics Administration building as the survivors run past the engine sign and out into the car park. As they flee, they run past an abandoned explorer and leave the car park behind as they enter the jungle. At the 30 second mark, we cut back to the steps as the male Velociraptor, now free, races out and starts calling even louder so the others can hear. We cut to the rest of the pack as they hear the calls and come to give chase. At the 39 second mark, we cut to an open field as Grant and the others run towards a herd of hadrosaurs. Startled, birds take flight, and the hadrosaurs themselves begin to stampede, scared by the sudden intrusion by the humans. At the 51 second mark, in the confusion, Billy falls to the ground and drops his camera bag. He gets up and continues running, but soon discovers the bag's no longer around his shoulder. And as the minute ends, Grant falls in the same spot, notices the bag and picks it up. Looking back at the herd, he continues on into minute 42.
as we open on minute 40, we're still in the kennels here, and we get the raptor beginning to begins climbing that closed gate that's um mm-hmm. keeping Amanda and Billy stuck there. Yeah, this is one of those moments where I feel like they kind of maybe overemphasize the raptor's intelligence in this movie, just because I mean you get the um raptor the looking up at the at the exposed open portion of the cage where it can climb over and get to the humans inside and then the like the choir lifts up and the and you get the raptor mo- light motif mm. kind of yeah mm. we talked last week about whether or not the raptors knew um or spent time in the kennels and that here and this sort of shows that maybe maybe they weren't let go and they had to find their own way out back in the day <laughs> being able to find these little holes and that i don't because the gate's not actually stuck here. The only reason it's closed is because the raptor's got its weight against it, holding them there. Mm-hmm. Which is why, of course, as soon as um, it starts to climb and takes its weight off the ground and onto the gate, Amanda yells, push. But And it's probably Amanda's most intelligent action in the film so far. <laughs> <laughs> just just realising what's going on, realising the raptor's weight's on that door, or on that cage door gate, and um, and yelling for Billy to push. And again, um, what happens here as the raptor kind of climbs over and they push and then run off, and then we turn back and see the raptor calling out and making what was actually one of the most, I always thought was one of the most interesting new vocalizations they give the raptors in this call. Like it's kind of like a mix between a duck and a, and a chicken mm. that kind of, I don't know what to call the, it's a crow in a way. Yep like a rooster's crow in a way where it's just as Alan Grant identifies it, a call for help. And again, overemphasizing the Raptors intelligence is not that the Raptors before we call, didn't call for help or reinforcements or anything like that. It's just that they were less vocal about it. They were more, they used more body language than anything. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's something else I want to bring up about that <laughs> behind that gate in a minute. But before we get there, the um, the Billy and Amanda pushes the gate around that clangs up against the other wall, and the spring-loaded lock bolt sort of springs out and locks the gate closed. Um, mm-hmm. Seems yeah, seems to be spring-loaded here, not the fact that there's power on at the facility. Um, just the shock of the gate sort of slamming opens, let the let the yeah. lock come out. Um, which again makes um, Amanda and Billy free, free to run away while the raptor's trapped. Um, mm. And I, I just want to bring up the animatronic work here as well. Like this is all animatronic. I'm pretty sure that's an animatronic behind that gate as well, isn't it? Is or it's CG? Um, I think yeah. This scene was pretty much I think all animatronic. Mm. I don't call anything in here being CGI in any way. It's if yeah, an, it's all Stan Winston. Yeah, if anything, there'd be like wire removal and that from the the full body animal behind that gate. Mm-hmm. No, I think it was pretty much all like a guy done in a raptor suit with like a wire lifting him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just we've sort of mentioned before, and even we finally get in the Lost World with the raptors actually climbing stuff, using those claws claws to climb. And here we get to see yes, it's on mesh. It's um. 
it's not sort of clawing the mesh and cutting through it like what's sort of described in the original Jurassic Park novel where they can sort of cut through steel and that <laughs> somehow with their claws, but here they're actually using their claws to climb. And I think it's just a great little addition to the film. Because it's something we don't really get in the franchise a lot of. But, um, but it, oh, That's true, because I think it was in the first novel where we found that they would cling onto the electric fence. And despite the fence being electric, uh, I recall the, um, the, it was like a groundskeeper guy came out and said that they really don't seem to mind that the fence is electrified. They just smash their faces into it, regardless of its status of being electric or not. Yeah. Which is somewhat implied by Muldoon in, um, and I think it was the first movie where he says that they would just attack that she would that the big one would have the other raptors just attack the fencing mm. when the first came around. Yep. Yeah, systematically checking for weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And then again in the film there where they've they've bitten clawed their way through those cables on that fence to get out. That's right. There's there was chew marks on the. Uh, fencing when when uh, we find when Ellie and Muldoon pass it by yep yep and even in the novel like it it was the raptor pen was a chain link fence that was electrified so they still cut their way through that as well and managed to bite mm-hmm. their way through the barred windows on the lodge um, to get to the mm-hmm. survivors inside so um. and that's right I, and the um, the tube it was, it's not really like wiring is it that was around the Raptor fence, it was almost like piping that they had electrified. I think the, the bars on the lodge were described as like rebar, like yeah. fixed, fixed steel bars, and they mm-hmm. chew through it. So, But Amanda and Billy immediately run sort of away, and they're joined by Grant, Paul, and Udesky as they come out of a different cage that they'd hid in before, and you get that raptor begin to vocalise and call for help, mm-hmm. which, as you were saying before, just a great little new sound that they're making. And it makes Grant pause and turn as he hears it and realises with some horror that the uh, male's calling for help. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is the only time I think we actually got the CGI was when we see them when uh, Paul Kirby grabs Grant and they run off. And then we get the the camera shot back at the raptor and we see the raptor climbing over mm. the top of the, of the gate there. Yep. Also notice here when they're sort of looking down, there's um there's like a hose reel on mounted one of the cages, so maybe that was for cleaning out cages um, back in the day. And there seems to be like little hand control pads or lock pads or something in front of the cages, especially the big cages. Mm-hmm. Again, with no lights or nothing lit up, so there's definitely no power in this building at all. Because some of them almost look like they're hand print scanners, but... I don't think that technology was around in 93 or 92. No, I was thinking more like keypads. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, but Alan's transfixed on the trap raptor, but yeah, as we said, Paul comes back and grabs him and yells, come on, and uh, they start running back down. We'll get a look back at the cage as the uh, raptor's starting to climb its way up and out of the top, which it's a, it's a quick cut from here back out the front of the building, but... It's it's assumed that that raptor did climb back out, and it, it's the one that runs out and barks on the steps of the yeah. embryonics building. So it made short work of getting out, 
getting out mm. of that corridor. So as we mentioned last minute, we um we don't really know how deep they've gone into the buildings here either, so mm. it's going to catch up a lot quicker than what the humans are running through it. Well, I also imagine that, I mean, once it got its feet on top of that cage, there, all it had to do was really hop down. Mm. You know, these animals have very powerful leg muscles, so it, a drop from a six-foot-tall doorway would really not harm it in any way. Yeah, yep. Yeah, but we uh, we cut outside and we see the engine sign in that uh, car park again for the moss on it, and um, it's... And we get a much well. We also get like a much closer up look to, uh, at the sign and see with the the uh, how it's got a blue. That I honestly, it's almost like an aqua blue, but it reminds me of like an old faded swimming pool color in yeah. LA or something. Yep. Where it probably would have been like a deep blue, similar to what we see with the other engine logos in the Lost World at at one point. Mm. But I do like that illusion of the moss on there because that's something that they did in the Lost World on that, like pretty much all over the set. They had like this moss you can kind of just spray on there. Mm. Yep, even the yeah. sort of engine sign on top of the gates as well for the worker village had it all covered up there as well. The engine sign, the glass, the walls, it was everywhere. Whoa. I loved it. Yeah, even just the front windows for the for the operations building. And that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we sort of pan to the right here as we um, get the people running down the staircase and out into the car park at full speed away from the building and uh, the mm-hmm. shot cuts to the rear view as they're running and leaving the car park and we see a abandoned explorer on their left as they run past it with a game of that yellow engine logo on it and this was uh, this car was later painted up in the actual Jurassic Park Explorer colours and thrown on the back lot. It's in that big rib mm-hmm. cage that's on display up to Spinosaur there. Yeah, part of the back lot tour. Yeah, yep. And interesting enough is that it was kind of stuck in between, like within the rib cage of the bones of the Opatosaurus used in the Lost World. Mm. Yeah, it's it's been one of those long. It's been around for a while, like. People have said, oh, yeah, there's an explorer in Jurassic Park 3, and people are ex- expecting, oh, well, it's the Jurassic Park explorer. Where, no, it's just they've reused that car design, or that same sort of mm-hmm. car for a, a work vehicle here, for whatever for whatever reason. Maybe if they got a fleet of explorers for the Jurassic Park, then maybe they got a couple as VIP cars or something for on sauna when dignitaries or something come in. Mm-hmm. Or Hammond. That is, that is possible. Yeah. But again, that's all wild speculation. Interestingly, is that when you see them run up into the forest, you can see them running past these concrete pillars. Mm. It's like garbage cans, but they're not because they have like really no way to access inside them. They're just basic concrete concrete pillars outside of a. Um, and then you can see the parking lot; those little concrete blockers that they use to ahead the top of a uh, parking space in a parking lot mm. and I was and so that kind of makes me wonder if this area had been cut back at some point and you could it was like the start of the road or so well you reckon these sort of bollards were removable no 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 that the uh, forest was had kind of creeped up to them oh yeah yeah and that the forest had itself had been cut back at some point. Well, that's yeah. I suppose with the um, with the shot up on top of the hill a few minutes ago, looking down on the complex itself, it didn't 
look like there was anything further forward of the Embryonic administration apart from that car park. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously you'd have the main road come in from the worker village or elsewhere um, mm -hmm. to the front here, and maybe they just say these concrete bollards surrounding it don't drive down here, you're going to end up in the river or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it does sort of serve the purpose there of being the um, being the outer edge of the complex here, and at least the, the jungle would have been cut back to this area anyway, mm -hmm. if there was nothing else beyond it. Maybe, maybe like the original novel, maybe there were like manicured lawns and gardens and that that have long since disappeared in the, the ferns and trees. Mm-hmm. But uh, we get one last look at the Embryonox administration building here as well as the male raptor comes running out and stops halfway down the stairs and starts calling out to the others and that's when we cut into the jungle. Can't be too far away. I suppose we did mention last minute too about just how the raptors, yes, the raptor nest is a fair way away, but they're tracking these humans because of what Billy's <laughs> done. So it's sort of it's sort of weird now. It's, it's only taken to win this one raptor's got out on the steps so it's been able to alert the others they haven't been able to hear the commotion inside but um they sort of the, we get the two males here listen and look at each other and then we get the cut to the female um mm -hmm. she looks at the camera and then turns her head and runs off and you sort of get that that eye move it's sort of it's not like she's rolling her eyes but she's sort of looking at us then sort of rolls her eyes back just before her head moves back sort of again just fantastic movement from the animatronic of just sort of showing showing that intelligence, and then we cut back. Now, this is I've got a little problem here because we get into this field. and This is a pretty big field. This looks a lot like mm -hmm. what we flew over when we first got to sauna. <laughs> and again, going back to that uh, aerial or that mountain shot, looking mm -hmm. down in the valley, there was no no opening plains like this that we've seen. Well, I think it was actually the same location at least because I know that they shot over. Uh, Kahili Ranch on Kauai. Mm. Then they filmed this scene in Kahili Ranch on Kauai because the mountain ranges are similar. Yeah, yeah. I guess as you mentioned in that minute too, where we flew over the herd, it's you can almost see where the fences have been digitally removed <laughs> just by the tree lines, <laughs> and it's sort of you can see. Yes, it's a little bit more undulating country here, mm -hmm. but you've still got that tall elephant grass type stuff and. Um, almost like the killing fields from the Lost World, but we sort of get a shot here of Alan entering the field and he yells into the herd as um, we pull back to see Amanda and the others running in amongst the hadrosaurs that are here. So again, we get to see some herbivores completely CGI, <laughs> especially once they start running and it's not it's not the best effect, but um, Grant's trying to use them to hide in amongst the, the herd. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see infants um, mm. among the herd, so they must be breeding pretty fast because <laughs> these were, according to the DPG, these were only uh, grown two years prior. Yeah, <laughs> well, we we mentioned that last minute as well about how mm. how that's DPG stuff sort of how does that fit when you've got. It's not like the boardroom scene where okay, it's a delayed scene. It's no longer mm. canon because it's it. Um, wipes out what you're trying to do in Jurassic World, but here this is the film. You can't unless you write the whole movie out as no longer canon. You can't sit there and have eggs and everything here and the the, the disrepair of the building, and then just go back and reuse the lab with rusty needles and 
or even if he had new needles. But anyway, we've talked. We're not going to double up on that. Um, there's some. There's a couple of infant parasol officers as well, isn't there? Yes, there are. Yeah. Um, and interesting enough is that the parasaurs are green and they're like really green in some shots and really brown in some shots. And I've seen, unfortunately, I never saved some of the images that, but they're pre-digitization CGI, final CGI, where they had originally envisioned the parasaurs to be brown, but for some reason we colored them green in this. They were supposed to be basically the same color as the the Lost World parasaurs, and I don't know why, but they recolored them to be green. There is there is one that's that brown, isn't there? I thought I seen a photo someone posted online a little mm-hmm. while ago. Apparently, they just they took that design of the brown one and just shrunk the CGI model into an infant. Well, actually, what they did was they didn't shrink the model; they actually created whole new models for oh. infants. With Shorter, um, like Elvis horns or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, the infants are uh, almost a brownish color. So it's kind of strange that the um, adults, they kind of recolored green. And not all of them, though. Just some of them have this greenish tinge about them. Hmm. Some of them are really green, and then some of them are kind of almost brown. I suppose they go, don't they go that sort of greeny brown colour for Jurassic World as well? Um, no, back in Jurassic World they were their original oh, okay. um, colours again. Okay. Mm. They were the the Lost World colours with the, um, what was it, it was like a, it was the brown with the reddish uh, backs on the neck, and back of the neck. Yep. I do like here too how you've sort of got those large black volcanic rocks just jotted amongst the field as well. Are those rocks or are those poop? Oh. <laughs> it's always I'm, I'm bring that up because I've always wondered is that poop or is those supposed to be boulders? I don't I don't think herbivore. Oh, I suppose if it's been there for a little while, it'd go black. But yeah, well that's yeah, that's a very good. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is there's honestly something I've been wondering since I was a child. I'll admit it. Well, we get to see some poop later on, so <laughs> we might have to do some comparisons. But I suppose, as we've seen with that initial fly over the island too, there's, there's brachiosaurs around here somewhere, or patasaurs, so mm-hmm. we know how big a triceratops is somehow. I don't know. I still don't know how that triceratops done a poo that big that Malcolm stand beside in the original movie, but they heap that stuff up. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... Actually, I kind of imagine that every once in a while they would have just gone and... Um, just taking shovels and go out there with a jeep and pile it up so that it wasn't just laying everywhere, you know. <laughs> well, we, got... we see that in we see that in uh, I think the video feeds on the Jurassic World viral site. Yep. Yep. Oh, we got plenty of compies to worry about that <laughs> on sauna anyway. As they run forward, the camera sort of pans up and we once again get a. Um, we get that flock of birds mm-hmm. flying up into the sky here as well, ahead of the uh, herd as they start to stampede and taking on that sort of f- um, fright and flight mentality. The, her- the hadrosaurs begin running away from these silly little people that are running in amongst them because uh, they do start running before the raptors come bursting out of the jungle here. But it's it almost makes me wish that 
um, Nash and Cooper didn't both go to the Spinosaur at the airstrip, I would have loved someone to get trampled, <laughs> just to show how dangerous a herd of herbivores. I think for the most part, the kill the kills always up to the carnivores, but I would have just loved to see a herbivore death as well, just to show that they're not big cows, <laughs> they're gentle giants, mm-hmm. especially especially in the wild like this. That's something I've actually really wanted from uh, like Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom as well. I mean, we really don't see that after Lost World is that the herbivores can be equally, if not more so, dangerous than the carnivores. And I've always been thinking about how, like, I mean, we sort of see it in, when the Indominus attacks the Ankylosaurus. The Ankylosaurus just thwomping that uh, big club tail on the ground and trying to threaten the Indominus away. But I've always been trying to, I always thought about, I mean, it wouldn't be so cool in a uh, Jurassic Park movie to see uh see the human characters just running from the a pissed off ankylosaurus or even a therizinosaurus trying to just dodge the claws as you get too close to its young and i mean i know that obviously be rehashing the stego scene from uh the lost world but it still would have been cool mm. well that's and we'll, we'll get to it next <laughs> next series when we get to Jurassic world but you could have that attack there with those ankylosaurs and not have the Indominus Rex there. Like, the, the threat could mm-hmm. be from that club tail. It already hits the gyrosphere once and sends it mm-hmm. flying across, and that's what sort of shorts out the systems and makes it go upside down and they can't get to the phone. But mm-hmm. that's, yeah, if, if, you, if you're going to say that Indominus Rex has a bite force capable enough of crushing that bulletproof perspex bubble or glass or whatever it is, then, yeah, have the threat of that having those two ankylosaurs mating or whatever or one male's trying to mate or trying to show off to the female and he gets territorial and said what are you doing here <laughs> and just mm-hmm. knocks that destroys that ball and they've got to get out of it before he um just completely destroys it but that's that's for another time that's for a movie that unfortunately didn't happen <laughs> um <laughs> but it's, it's especially here because billy sort of he falls to the ground. I'm not going to say he get. I wrote that he got knocked to the ground, but I'll say he trips over and falls to the ground because if you're getting hit by these large animals running like this, I think there's going to be more than just falling into the grass because <laughs> we get Udesky take a bit of a comedic forward flip into the grass as well. <laughs> yeah, he does. And, I mean, there's kind of one thing I don't like is that, I mean, he can be a good action star if you'd like him to, Michael Jeter. And he kind of gets delegated in this role to the kind of just a dope in a way. Mm. Yep. Um, but Billy gets back up off the ground and um, clips the belt and the parachute back together and realizes he's dropped the camera bag. Grant then Grant gets knocked down also, but luckily <laughs> it's right where that bag and where Billy fell earlier. And uh, as the minute ends, Grant picks the bag up and continues to run. Uh, anything else on the herd yeah, you, or the stampede? You, well, you can see uh, Billy kind of um, just... He looks back and he almost looks like he wants to attempt going back for the bag, but he's running because, well, the herbivores are coming and you don't want to get stepped on them. Yeah, well, you can see that and look on his Grant, face. He, he's unsure of himself yeah. whether or not he should, just realizing, mm-hmm. I suppose, too, that the bag's gone. It's interesting because in the in the novel, it's actually Grant yells out to keep going. I've got it. So, 
sort of one of that's why know. that's why Billy, I think, or the script, one of the two. But yeah, actually. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it was the script because I think I remember that in the script. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it's sort of, and Billy would have seen Grant pick it up as well, and although he doesn't want Grant to know what's inside it, I think at that point he could keep mm-hmm. on running while Grant's sort of following. No. What's weirder, and we'll get to it next minute, is the fact that Grant falls over right where Billy did, and maybe there's a log in the grass or something they tripped over, but gets the bag, and then they get so far separated <laughs> next minute when they're pretty much following well, each imagine, other. I can imagine there's probably a lot of ruts and just like general potholishness uh, things in the ground just because of these herbivores stomping down on it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, little rocks or little poo. <laughs> Could be anything. Mm. Quickly looking over at the scripted novel comparisons. Uh, in the script, it's Grant, Paul, and Amanda the trapped behind the gate, not just not Amanda and Billy. Um, so there's three of them there to help. Which I suppose, if you got three of them there, they're going to be able to push that gate a lot easier, whether the Raptors... Yeah. Behind, especially when you remember that it was only Grant and Ellie keeping the control room door shut from that Raptor mm-hmm. there. So when Grant stops to sound... The Raptors making are the same as what the Resonade Chamber were making from the start of the film, but in the film itself, we can clearly hear the difference because we know when Alan was blowing on that thing, he didn't have any idea what sounds he was trying to but make. He was just kind of blowing into it like a raw flute, you know, where yeah. you just don't press your fingers on anything to make a uh, note at all. You just kind of blow through it. Yeah, and then we, we'll get there later towards the end of the film too where he sort of starts to blow differently through it trying to get that now he knows what it, the sound is trying to mimic that sound mm-hmm. um, well he also remembers the sound that they used to make and in a way I mean you could stop, uh, justify it by saying that it almost sounds like the hissing noises they used to make yeah yeah. those threatening hissing noises yep also um, Grant says she's calling for help not he which it's clearly the male that's in behind the gate. Um, of course, the males have got the... Okay. Again, to be fair, though, because unlike Ian Malcolm, who he never actually saw the um, different... He never saw the two genders together, so he only ever saw the females in the first um, on the first island. Yeah, good point. So he yeah. really wouldn't have known. He might have even assumed they were still female. Yeah, no, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, he, and he, we don't get any dialogue from him later, even saying that they look different. Or mm-hmm. we, we sort of talked, even going way back to the, the dream, the Alan on the plane, where we get the newer design Raptor instead of the older one. Like it's just, it's just assume that Grant knows that this is what the, this is the same as what they look like on Nublar, but we know better than that. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of irritating me that they never acknowledge or at least Grant, never acknowledges that there are different raptors from what he saw. I mean, I, I think kind of partly just because you could argue, oh, he was running for his life the whole time. Never really had to stop and never had really had a chance to stop and look at the scenery, but you'd still think he'd make a comment on it once he was alone. Well, you know? especially, or, yeah, especially when we come up in a minute where he's sitting there and watching him, like he's no... Yes, okay, he's not going to monologue to himself <laughs> or talk into a into a recorder, but even, oh, I suppose, when he got to Eric, there's a lot of downtime. They do spend a night together, so... Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, and they're just talking back and forth. 
So, I mean, you think, hey, you know it's anything weird about the Velociraptors or anything like that, you know? Because another interesting thing is, and I meant to bring this up earlier in the, in the minute, is that the Raptors oddly seem to stick to the facilities for some reason. You had the first Raptors nesting near the worker village, and then you have these Raptors nesting near the embryonics facility, you know? It's it's a pretty common occurrence for not not just in the films either. Like even in the um the original PS one game where all the stuff in the buildings has all got the raptors in there. Um, like all your the human human and raptor levels are all around the buildings. Um, mm. That's interesting. Maybe they maybe they like the comfort <laughs> being out of the rain. Um, Perhaps. Hmm. But sort of this here we get a big difference in between the film and the uh, script slash novel. Um, as the group comes out of the lab or the main building, they come out of the rear or come out a side door, not the front like we see in the film. Um, and it's described as uh, well, the group find themselves in a large equipment yard, and then they can start that from outside. They can hear the raptor calling for help inside still, and we never mentioned, but when they're mm-hmm. running out that front and down the stairs, you can clearly hear the raptor calling for help behind them still in the building mm-hmm. um, but we would have got to see something else he would have seen an equipment yard which um, mm-hmm. would have been interesting yeah well we do like we mentioned a couple minutes ago we do see it in that CGI wide chat that we got of the whole facility you can see like a backhoe mm. and some other equipment kind of laying off to the side in one area but you never really you never really get to see it in the movie, which would is weird because it. You think that'd be very easy equipment to obtain, you know? Yeah, yep. And we know from watching the sliders videos and that, and behind the scenes with the operations building, it had exits, not just out the front but out the back and sides as well. And depends mm-hmm. on how much when they've renovated and re restructured it, whether that stuff disappeared or not. But. Um, you could have easily just had them come out the side of the building there somewhere and just, yeah, just have a couple of backhoes parked and all you're doing is aging them up a bit to make them look mm-hmm. like they've been sitting there for a while, break a window. Yeah, you really, I mean, you really don't even have to do much to them other than just lay some prop vines over them, you know? Yeah, yep. Just have them half parked in amongst the ferns, put some ferns around and make it look like the jungle's coming back around it, but... Mm-hmm. Um, that actually be rather poetic if you think about it. These instrument, these instruments used to keep the jungle at bay, are, are themselves being swallowed up by the jungle. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. And this film isn't that deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but as they sort of run out, they run f- past the equipment and into the jungle, and um, we get the raptor raptor's calls being answered from off in the jungle somewhere, and the responses quickly multiply into the group's dismay. dismay. They soon find themselves virtually surrounded by raptors, or raptor cries, both distant and near, and Grant sort of looks around for amazement and um, vindication of his fear on raptor communication, but it couldn't come at a worse time. Mm. So it's sort of like before some early minutes where Billy was going to take photos of the nest and say this is proving some theories, and Grant's like, let's choose a better time to pursue our paleontology. Um <laughs> beliefs and being hunted by raptors but responding to the growls a herd of grazing grazing hadrosaurs suddenly flees 
the open space, and um, and then in the distance you can that pack of raptors emerge from the jungle, coming their way, and that's where Grant yells into the trees, and from the lab building the raptor left imprisoned bursts uh, out one of the doors and howls to the pack. Um, the same cry we heard from in the lab before, and um, the raptors sort of go into a hunting formation. The alpha male sort of leading the group, and the others charging up beside it and Grant risks a look back but doesn't stop running and letting the others get ahead of him Grant looks back much to his dismay the raptors ignoring the hadrosaurs <laughs> indeed the pack waves its way through the herd the raptors only mm. wanting them which that that would be a bit of a demoralizing thing <laughs> trying to run away <laughs> um, but uh, in the chaos of the stampede everyone loses sight of each other up ahead Billy trips and falls he rolls and the strap and the camera bag breaks. He doesn't notice it's missing until he's already back on his feet running. And uh, Amanda and Paul keep close together. But uh, further back, Grant spots Billy's fallen camera pack. He grabs it and runs past. Looking back, Billy mm-hmm. sees Grant has it now and yells to keep going. So that's where that that comes in. But that's minute 41. Dave, anything else you want to discuss before we get out of today? No, I think we're good. Alright, lovely. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com the main website is jurassicminutes.wordpress.com and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on earth or heaven could get me on that island. You're Desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.